Merry Christmas Eve morning to each and every one of you. Thank you so much um, <clears throat> for our singers and for those who shared. Uh, thank you to uh, Anita um, and Karen and Darren and Sean and, of course, Avery. You know, one of the things that um, Sean didn't share is we have never had those candles kind of standing up there since I've gotten here. So, but the rumor definitely has it that the year they stopped was right after Sean and his brother started playing swords with those fiery candles. So, uh, so that's the reason why. So thanks uh, for letting us not enjoy those things any longer, Sean. Um, no, thank you very much uh, for that. So I have a song as well um, that I'm going to, uh, uh, we're not going to sing it. Uh, it's actually just something we're going to watch, but, uh, but that'll be here in just a few minutes. Before we get to that, uh, I want to read to us from yet one more prophet. We've been going through many prophets during this time, through Isaac and uh, Zephaniah and Malachi. And now today on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we are looking at the prophet Micah. So I invite you to hear these words. Micah says this, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor, has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace." Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we give you great praise for the testimonies this morning that we have already heard. Testimonies, Lord, of how you have worked through words of songs, through the instruments, in order that we might worship and celebrate and feel the depth of who you are in our lives and in our world. And so we pray this morning, Lord, on this, the cusp of Christmas Day, when we celebrate you having come 2,000 years ago, that you would continually prepare our hearts that we might be ready for you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Uh, Craig Barnes has been a pastor and a preacher in our denomination for uh, decades now, and he's uh, one of those that I love uh, to listen to from time to time because he's a remarkable wordsmith. He just has a way of speaking so that uh, you remember and you pause and you reflect uh, for long periods of time after what he has said has first entered your ears. 
But even someone like Craig Barnes, who's really kind of a master of his craft, who knows the spoken word so well, even he uh, can admit that music carries a message, as he says, that is far beyond the limits of the spoken or written word. Right? It's exactly as God has created it. One of the things that Barnes says is that oftentimes he will preach, and it's clear, you know, that as he's doing so, the people are, are responding. You can kind of tell when people are doing that, and they're thinking, yeah, you know, I think what he's saying is right. And, and then a musician will come up behind him who will basically sing the exact same words that he has just been up there saying. And at that moment, he says, all of a sudden, the tears begin to flow. All of a sudden, then, it's clear that the music has reached a place in their hearts that the spoken words simply cannot. Music, as Barnes says, carries the word deep into the heart. I think all of us know this to be true. This is why, in fact, it's interesting that uh, by and large, uh, most of those who have heard these songs, uh, we remember them. Many of us remember them from our childhood, as Darren was kind of attesting to, or, or Avery, uh, uh, which is not that long ago for you, much longer for Darren. And or they've come in kind of a, a deeper moment of our lives, right? Like what Karen showed, right? But they reach deep down. Most of us know this when it comes to music. As soon as you hear a particular song, you are instantly taken back. In fact, most even Christian uh, worship um, uh, professors, if you will, will say that, that oftentimes what feels most Christian to you are the songs that you heard when you were a child, right? It isn't necessarily that hymns are the most Christian. It's just that most of us, a lot of us, that's what we heard when we were, when we were younger, and when uh, someone like an Avery, when she gets older, she's going to hear this Lauren Daigle song and going to say, that's real Christian hymns that we should be listening to. And her children will be saying, oh, it's so old-fashioned. <laughs> but this is kind of what music does. It sinks deeply into our lives in a remarkable way. And I think that's exactly as we've been saying what the prophets do. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that when we've talked about Isaiah or Zephaniah or Malachi that we've said that one of the things that they do is they are artists and they are able to paint a picture or describe something in such a remarkable way that it sinks deeply, that it engages all of our emotions. So this is what the prophets are able to do so remarkably well. And that's so important because it helps to cultivate our imaginations. Remember what we've said, which is that our, our imaginations, they tend to be closed off. We tend to begin to believe, especially in difficult or dark times, that what has always been will always be. And the prophets are always trying to break that closed imagination and soak it with a God-sized imagination to say, no, there is more. This is what the prophets do, and this is what music so often does. And Micah, here in our passage today, you can go back, and like I've encouraged you uh, a few times over the last several weeks, you can read over um, um, the letter or the prophet. Uh, they're not usually very long, except for uh, Isaiah is long, but the rest of them are not that long. And you can see what I'm saying is true, which is that the prophets are always coming up 
it seems, during difficult times when people are losing hope, when they have fallen into their brokenness. This is the truth with Micah as well. People are they're stealing uh, the poor's property. They're taking bribes. They are full of idolatry, worshiping other gods. And in this particular case, in fact, in Micah 5, verse 1, right before what I just read, it seems that they are, the Jerusalem is being laid siege. There is an army, probably it's an Assyrian army that is surrounding Jerusalem. And Micah is speaking right in the middle of that. And so what does Micah do? Well, again, what, what they do is they are not, they're very honest about the reality, and yet they never lose hope. So what does Micah say? Micah says that, that the struggle will continue until she who is in labor has brought forth. So until she is, who is in labor, right? And as anyone who has gone through labor, or those of us who perhaps have been near labor, now we don't know it as well as those who have gone through labor. I don't want to get in trouble. We know this. But those of us who have stood close can kind of see it. But those who have experienced labor, who can admit this reality that there is tremendous pain and struggle. There are those moments when you are desperate for it to all be over. And then with one final push, oftentimes, there is this joy, deep, abiding joy that is delivered. And Micah is beginning to say here, in the very midst of this darkness, when things seem at their most critical and painful, do not give up hope. Now, as Followers of Jesus, we understand Micah as pointing to the one who is in labor is Mary, the mother of Jesus. That this is what Micah is speaking about. That he's telling the people that even though all seems lost, and even though we may not be able to see beyond our own brokenness and sin, though our lives may be overshadowed by the siege of some kind of army, that we must see more deeply and know that there is hope. And one of the remarkable things, and I'll talk about this uh, more tonight, uh, one of the remarkable things is from whence this hope comes. It comes from Bethlehem. It comes from what Micah calls one of the little clans of Judah. What the message interprets is this, as the runt of the litter. This is what Bethlehem is. It is a place, a no place. A, I, would, I would compare it to something, but I would get in trouble if I did. So just think in your own mind. What is the, the place that, that nobody likes, that everyone mocks? You know, you only go there if you absolutely have to. That's what Bethlehem is. And oftentimes when we are in pain or in struggle, we tend to go to what is powerful, what is obvious, and yet it is in Bethlehem where hope and salvation are found. Now, I want you to hear me. I do believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It is a real place. But I also think that it can serve as this remarkable symbol to us. The prophets are so good at this. 
It is this great symbol to us, both of this reality, that there is always hope, and we can always be honest about the realities and darkness, then there is hope, and that hope oftentimes will come from a place where we did not necessarily expect it, where you would not believe that it could come from. This past May, uh, ZPCer Brian Husky, many of you know him, uh, he was diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease as it, is, as it is sometimes called. And as you know, that is one of the last diagnoses that you want. And so it has been this remarkable struggle as you can imagine. And recently I got a Christmas uh, new or a Christmas letter uh, from them. It was written by Brian's wife, Denise. And I was, I was interested to hear what they were going to say. You know, most Christmas letters, as you uh, probably know, you received them, you likely sent them. Uh, you know, it's all the glowing things. You would think that we have the absolute best life in the world. And so I wanted to know exactly how would the, her, her huskies, how would they kind of navigate this? And so Denise was, first of all, remarkably honest. She said, many mornings we wake up with despair. And then she said, you know, in all vulnerability, she said, this diagnosis has crushed them. There's a sense that the disease has laid siege on Brian for sure, but also on the whole family. But then Denise goes on. She doesn't stay there, though she admits it in remarkable honesty. And she says, but you know what? Brian, he's been able to start understanding this in such a way that he wakes up. And to quote her, she says, he wakes up and he says, thank you, Lord, for this day. And she emphasized this. It is a gift Let's live it to the fullest, he says. So that rather than giving in to the despair, right? This is, I want to be very clear. This is not some kind of Pollyanna. Oh, no, everything's fine. There's nothing wrong. No, 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 no. This is complete honesty. But yet, Brian and Denise have this remarkably God-soaked imagination to say, in the very middle of this, what we are going to do is to begin to see that this day that we actually have is a gift. And they have chosen to imagine a different way of seeing life. And as I kept reading through this uh, Christmas letter, Denise decided to end it with this prayer. It was this prayer that comes from this liturgical book that I shared with you all a couple of months ago. This is how Denise first heard about it. And so she ends this Christmas letter that went out to all their friends and family and to, to me as their pastor And it ends with this. You may have heard this before. Here's the prayer. It says this. Let us not deny sadness, but transform it into fertile soil for joy. Let us not deny the darkness, but choose to live in the light. Cynics seek darkness wherever they go. 
but joy is the mark of the people of God. Help us discipline ourselves to choose joy, for the reward is joy in itself. Help us renew our minds until they default to joy and not fear, for there is so much to frighten us. Help us believe that the light can be trusted, for there is so much darkness to mislead us. See, this is a prophetic Bethlehem prayer. It does not come out of a place of false joy or a place of Disney or Hallmark-esque kind of reality. It says that right there, rooted in the very midst of this darkness and pain, this is not all that there is. It is this remarkable testimony to the fact that there is always hope. And when Jesus Christ was born in this most unlikely of places in Bethlehem, it is this reminder that hope and joy and love and peace oftentimes come out of the most unlikely of experiences, the most difficult of sieges, the most difficult of labor and pain and struggling. This is where so often joy is delivered. This morning, I knew that I wanted us to sing a song that dealt with Bethlehem. And so I thought, well, maybe we'll sing O Little Town of Bethlehem. And, but then as I kind of uh, kept kind of considering this, my mind was drawn to the African-American spiritual. I'm guessing most of you uh, are familiar with it called Children Go Where I Send Thee. And I decided that that was really what I wanted us to hear. And a part of that is because these spirituals so often were not born out of everything being wonderful, they were born out of, from the chains of oppression, from, from, from the chains of pain, all of this. And yet, so often in these spirituals, there is, this re, there is this resolve to never give up hope. That what we see and what we are experiencing is not all there is. And so I am inviting you to listen to this Song by Spelman College, by the choir of Spelman College. Uh, I am quite certain that in all of the Presbyterian churches in our nation, there are very few that on this morning will also hear a rap. And that is also a part of this. And so uh, I love, though, the spirit of this song and the way in which they proclaim it. So let's listen and watch that now.
I think sometimes in the midst of pain and struggle, it takes determination and resolve to imagine and to know that things can be different. That as long as Jesus has been born on this earth, that there is always hope. Amen? One of the things I want to close us with this morning is uh, one of the commentators, as he looks at this uh, passage in Micah, and he sees how it talks about this woman who is uh, laboring. Is this the, the, the human effort, if you will, or the human agency in, in allowing Jesus to be born? So I was thinking about this when Darren said that he felt like, I love this image, Darren, about uh, kind of ushering when he walked Jesus down, how he felt like he was almost ushering Jesus in. It's this remarkable reminder to us that Jesus chose. God chose to use us. He obviously used Mary. He used Joseph who accompanied Mary. He used that community. He used all those things to help then deliver, if you will, this light and this hope. And so I want to simply remind you that that prayer, that liturgy uh, that I read uh, a couple of months ago uh, to the congregation, that that was given to me by one of our covenant children, uh, that she had sent that to me as a college student to say, hey, look, here's a, a prayer, and then she sent a subsequent prayer, which was that one. And I'm pretty sure that when she sent that two months ago, she had no thought in her mind that this prayer was going to give hope and joy to someone who had been diagnosed with ALS. But you see, this is the way that Bethlehem and the gospel of Jesus works. Remember one last time, perhaps, for this year, when I bring up this tapestry of faith. 
But I want you to remember right here with Bethlehem and this surprise that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in this nondescript place in the midst of oppression and hopelessness. This is when, surprisingly enough, this light was born. And then you have Bethlehems that are scattered throughout as there is hope given in the most difficult of times. Again, thinking about what Karen uh, said uh, about her song, about bells, and about how the author there, about Longfellow, about all of that pain. And yet the light that surprisingly came up eventually in the midst of that Bethlehem and then went to her. And then you think about this prayer, you know, that was sent to me uh, by our covenant child. And I just simply mention it. And all of a sudden then you have the her huskies who are touched by that. You see, this is the way the gospel works. This is the way Bethlehem works. We have no idea, we have no idea how what we say or do, we simply offer it up, and yet Jesus so often is born in remarkable ways to give hope and peace and joy and love in ways we never, never could have imagined. And we, have the opportunity every day to bring Jesus into whatever situation we may face. And so my hope and prayer on this Christmas Eve morning is that we will experience that light. That if you are in a dark place right now, that you will experience that light of Christ. But that you will also know. That in the midst of your labor and your toil and your suffering, that Jesus can work through that in order to bring light and life and hope and joy and peace and love to those who you meet on this day, whether you are in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem or anywhere in between. For the glory of the one who was born 2,000 years ago for you and for me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.